Welcome to the Mind Design Sports Podcast. I'm Brandon, and in each episode, I'll be talking about sports psychology with the guest speaker. If you want to design your sports experience, you've come to the right place. If you want more tips and insights on how to improve your sports performance mentally, check out our website and other podcasts at mind-designsports.org. Today, we're talking with Bryce Strecker, an applied sports and performance psychologist. He has a background in various sports, which include football, golf, basketball, and baseball. Bryce has been studying mental and training techniques, mental training techniques and strategies for years. He's the founder of Strecker Sports Psychology, which is also, in fact, one of our partners, and he's ready to provide athletes with important advice and training that will help them conquer new heights and achieve their goals. We'll talk about setting specific routines, physical training, and his connection to the mental side of sports, and lastly, focus in this episode. Bryce, thanks for having uh, joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to kind of dive into it and talk a little bit about, you know, mental training and, you know, how we can help athletes kind of chase their goals and become as good as they want to be. Absolutely. Could you describe any projects you've been working on or any work in general? Yeah. So uh, right now, kind of my biggest goal with Strecker Sports Psych and everything I'm doing is right now just kind of spreading the information of sports psychology and mental training uh, through social media and stuff like that. And then from kind of a business perspective, um, running a lot of advertisements online through Facebook and things like that, working to sort of grow my client base and get my name out there and uh, help as many athletes as I can. As far as like um, huge like projects that I have right now, there's nothing massive I'm spending a lot of time, you know, writing, writing articles, reading, you know, researching, just continuing to learn for myself and giving myself everything I can to help out all the athletes I come in contact with. At Strucker Sports, like, don't you have a program? And I saw like it had a holistic approach to it. What do you, what is it? And what do you mean by a holistic approach? Yeah. So the the whole holistic approach is kind of my foundation of how i work with athletes whether it's in like a traditional sport coaching role or right now in like a mental coaching perspective uh basically what it is is me working from a more holistic worldview and seeing everyone i work with as more than just an athlete where yes i'm a sports psychologist and i want to help people perform better in sports but I found that the best way to do that is by helping them as individuals, both on and off the field. So a lot of that looks like creating, you know, atmospheres for people to be successful on the field, but also in the classroom, you know, once they hang up the cleats and move on to the workforce and just creating those relationships between myself and the client so we can trust each other and so we can take the steps necessary to help them kind of grow and become whatever they want to be gotcha um from all the athletes you've worked with what mistakes do you see in athletes and maybe even in coaches that they do in their training that kind of doesn't match your holistic approach or you think is something a sports psychology tip can help them out yeah i think uh And definitely my holistic approach is not the only way to coach. It's not the only way to, you know, get the most out of athletes. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, get on my soapbox and tell you this is how everybody needs to do it because it's not. But it's the way that I've found the most success. And I think parts of it are where coaches often miss. 
And by that, I mean like coaches will be in it for not necessarily the athletes, but more so for their bottom line, as in wins and losses, which is obviously important in sports. We all want to win. We all hate losing. But through this holistic approach, you're taking a lot more steps toward building human beings than just focusing on winning. So I think this misstep by a lot of coaches and by a lot of athletes is putting too much pressure and emphasis on performing and too much pressure and emphasis on the sport itself, as opposed to building relationships that transcend the sport and creating a trust between coach and athlete to get the most out of both parties. If a coach is able to, you know, show an athlete that they care about them more than their stat line for that day and that they have their best interests in, at heart, uh, the athlete is going to be a lot more willing to put in the extra work and to take the constructive criticism and to try something new because they know that this coach is there to help them and really wants them wants to see them succeed and not and is not only focused on a win or a loss that day. You said that you want to build more human beings, meaning like transcending relationships to get the most out of the sport. What about if you don't have a coach or teammates, like maybe in individual sports like golf? Yeah, it's it's very unique looking at the differences between team sports and individual sports. But in in most aspects, there's some form of that I work with if it's in the sports psychology realm, I can somewhat become that higher, you know, echelon figure for an athlete, whether if they don't have a coach, if they're like just an individual golfer or tennis player, for instance, um, that is where I focus a lot on building that relationship. So they have kind of an outlet, they have a sounding board where they can come to me, explain, you know, what's going wrong in their training, what their goals and aspirations are. And then I'm able to build that relationship to where we can trust each other. And they know that if I'm giving them advice, it is with their best interests in mind. It's not anything other than that, than them just trying to reach their goals and get whatever they want out of said sport. What does trust look like between two teammates or a coach and an athlete? I think trust is very unique in that it can be there with or without sports, but within like the sporting realm between teammates, especially is knowing that if you and I are on the same team and we're lined up next to each other, I know that you're going to go out, give a hundred percent effort and execute your job to the best of your abilities. And you know, I'm going to do the same. So it kind of alleviates some of that stress for athletes when they're playing of thinking like, oh man, I don't know if he's going to do this. I don't know if he's going to mess up. I don't know if he's going to cost us the game. And instead it just takes all that away and everybody can go out and focus on doing their job and executing to help their team or in the individual aspect to help their team score at the end of the day, you know, be as high as possible. And then between a, a coach and an athlete, it's a little bit different because traditionally in sports that are structured around, you know, it's typically in team sports where we see issues with coaching, you know, bashing with players. Uh, it's because of the traditional kind of power dynamic that's there. there. There's a hierarchy of power within it where athletes are there 
underneath the coach essentially is the typical structure of it. But if you're able to build these holistic relationships that are bigger than the sport itself, it kind of tears down that hierarchy a little bit and makes it a lot easier for the athlete to go to the coach if there's an issue on the field or even if it's in school or in their personal lives they now know that this coach is there for them and you guys are kind of on the same page on the same wavelength of what you want to do for each other and what you want to accomplish in the end so you worked as a baseball coach for high schoolers. Uh, how did your coaching experience help you understand the mentality of athletes better? And maybe like, what did you learn about sports and athletes when you were there? Yeah, uh, I I actually got that job coaching. I got a head coaching job way earlier than I ever expected. You know, I played sports my entire life, played through college and stuff, and knew that eventually I'd be involved in sports in some capacity, but I definitely didn't expect to be a high school, a head high school baseball coach at the age of 22. And so I'm very grateful uh, for that opportunity from Alamosa High School in Colorado. And it was an absolute eye-opener for me, just one year prior having been an athlete myself and then stepping into a coaching role like that. I learned a lot about one, the, the kind of back ends of coaching, all the stuff that our coaches go through that we never see. Uh, there's a lot more than I ever expected, but also like I talked earlier, those relationships, I, uh, I learned very quickly how important those were because I stepped into this team. Uh, it was a very talented roster. They'd had some decent success in the past. It was a very senior heavy team. And so I walk in and there's you know 10 to 12 18 year old guys on the team and i'm only 22. so immediately i i knew i was kind of gonna have to fight my way in and build that trust with those people because looking back if i was the 18 year old in that position why why should i trust this other young guy coming in trying to tell me what to do so going in my the biggest things i wanted to show these people were one that i know baseball i've been around it um, I've played at a higher level and I kind of know what I'm talking about to some extent and also that I'm there for them. I'm not there to build my resume. I'm not there to show off how good I am. I'm there to help them achieve their goals and take their game to the next level and to ultimately hopefully win a state championship while I'm there. So I learned a lot about the back end stuff. I learned a lot about the importance of relationships. And I learned how to kind of handle all that at once while also just working to get the most out of my athletes. You know, it was, it was a good situation because at the time I was in graduate school studying sports psychology and a lot of the stuff we were studying was based around coaching and getting the most out of athletes. So this gave me, you know, a prime chance to step in and put this research that I'm reading and these books that I'm reading into action right away and give this stuff a try. And, you know, through a lot of hard work, some luck and a lot of great athletes, we ended up having, you know, a very f successful first year and I had an absolute blast doing it. And it's something that looking back, like I've told you know, now I've, I've given up that job. I moved away, but, uh, I've told everyone there and everyone I've talked to that if the situation in my life was a little bit different, you know, I was at a different point in life. That's something that I would have stayed for the long haul. And I would love to have continued coaching at that school, uh, 
because it was an incredible, incredible experience for me. I learned a ton and I had a lot of fun uh, doing it. That's amazing. You said in the beginning that when you were when you were first a coach, like you kind of had to do a lot of work. And I asked this question, like, what did you have to do? And maybe athletes can understand what the coaches do for them and they might appreciate the coach better and therefore like build trust. So what did you do as a baseball coach? And like, what did it look like day in and day out? Yeah. So especially at the high school level, you know, when we're in high school, it's you go to school all day, then you show up to practice at three, you go home at five or six and do it again the next day. And stepping into the coaching role, I kind of assumed that that's what it was going to be for me. I kind of do whatever my my daytime job is. I show up to practice at three, run through some stuff, boom, we're done. And I learned very, very quickly that that is not the case as a coach. Um, Dealing with things like we had to build fundraisers. You know, we didn't have an unlimited budget, so we had to go out and make money. So organizing that stuff was a headache that I wasn't prepared for, didn't realize coaches had to do it. Um, I was in a unique situation there. We were in Southern Colorado, which if you've ever been down there, it's a very rural area and there's not a lot of close schools to, to Alamosa where I was. So we had to travel a lot. So that was another thing that was on my plate. We had to schedule, I had to go in and schedule buses I had to schedule hotels. I had to figure out our food budget for trips. And then even for home games, I had to, you know, make sure the field was ready. Every day for practice, making sure the field was ready. On game days, making sure umpires were getting there on time, making sure umpires had a locker room to change in, making sure the other team knew how to get to our school, making sure that they had accommodations when they got there. So there's a lot of stuff that really wasn't even baseball related that you have to deal with. And I I say it like have to deal with, but really it's all just part of the process. And it was so much fun to learn all those new things. And like you said, as an athlete, you don't see all this stuff on the back end that your coaches do for you. And I, being in that situation, I kind of look back on my situation in high school and realize that, wow, I was not grateful for what my coaches had to go through to make sure that we could play, you know, two to four games every week. Great, I see. And my next question would be, what did you see as a coach now? Like as a coach, what did you maybe learn or figure out versus when you were an athlete? Yeah, so between coaching and my graduate program at the same time in sports psychology, I kind of got to learn really quick that as an athlete in my past life, quote unquote, I was a pretty mentally weak athlete. You know, I the the whole idea of mental training in sports psychology was something I had never heard of until like the very end of my college career. And so looking back, I realized that I didn't have any of those mental skills that could have made me a much better athlete. For example, I was one of the world's worst losers. You know, we would lose a game in college, just a random, even like a non-conference game that didn't really mean anything. And I would play bad, we would lose, and I would like shut down for a day and a half. I wouldn't talk to my roommates. I wouldn't associate with anyone. I was terrible about it. And the same thing would happen during games. If I were to make an error or strike out, whatever it is, 
um, that would have a massive impact on how I would perform the next inning in the next game. I, I wasn't good at moving past mistakes. I wasn't good with failure. And this led to me not playing as good as I possibly could have. It led to me not being as good of a teammate as I could have. And so stepping into that coaching role and seeing the same things happen to the athletes I was coaching really kind of opened my eyes to how important mental training is and sports psychology is and helping these people, even if they're not going to master these skills, but letting them know that they're out there and it's something that they can use to better their performance was one of the biggest things that I noticed pretty early on stepping into a coaching role like that. I see. And my next question would be, while working as a coach, what were the most common stumbling blocks for an athlete's development that you had to deal with? So, And then also, how did you tackle those problems or how did the athlete do it? Yeah. So stepping in when uh, kind of thinking about this, there was there was two major, I guess, stumble stumbling blocks that I would see athletes deal with. The first one when working with high school age athletes, you know, 14 to 18 years old, they've been playing the, this sport, in this case, baseball for pretty much their entire lives. So the first issue that I ran into was getting people to getting these athletes to break old habits of maybe when they were younger, they didn't learn how to throw a ball properly, or there's a small tweak that I want to make in their swing mechanic and getting somebody to trust me and getting them to try something different is very, very difficult because they have done it for so long. It's just like any type of habit we build in life. Breaking habits is very, very hard. It takes a lot of extra effort and a lot of trust in whoever's telling you to break the habit that they're, you know, right and they're doing it for the right reasons. Um, and kind of to, to try and tackle that, uh, a lot of it came down to those relationships I was talking about building that trust with my athletes so if i tell them to try this instead of that they know that it's worth a shot because they trust me and vice versa i know that they're gonna give it a shot because i trust them to do so um the other like major issue stumbling block type thing that i would see with athletes was that mentality piece like i talked earlier um and just not having like a mental approach to, to baseball in general, you know, just kind of stepping up to the plate each at bat and just kind of winging it, kind of going with the flow. And that works for a time. You know, if, you're, if your skill set and your talent is high enough, you can get away with that. But once the competition's skill set and ability is at the same level or higher than yours, now the mental aspect starts to play an even bigger role. And so to kind of combat that I worked a lot with my athletes on developing this mental approach on what they were going to do each pitch or what they were going to do each at bat and that was something that involved a lot of you know building routines and helping my athletes get into the zone and helping them build focus routines that allow them to lock in kind of block out the outside distractions and execute whatever the game plan is for that particular pitch, inning, game, whatever the case may be. I see. Another question. Is it better to teach an athlete to stay calm with pressure of a competition or on the contrary, like waking up his or her aggressiveness? 
that that's a good one and it's funny um not too long ago i just posted kind of this topic on my social media and it's something that in psychology is referred to as arousal levels or activation levels um and basically that just means like how adrenaline boosted how locked in how focused an athlete is in a particular situation so back to your question you know is it better to teach them to stay calm or to kind of embrace that aggressiveness and use it i think it's very very situationally dependent so there's a lot of factors there on what sport is it what does the situation look like and then what does the the athlete's personality play in this role so for example in a sport like football very high adrenaline very high high fast-paced sport a lot of collision that's something where most people playing football need to be at a very high activation level they need to embrace that aggressiveness in order to play fast to play hard and really to avoid injury in a sport like that where if you're not going 100 miles an hour there's a good chance you might get hurt. Now, on the contrary, something like golf. If somebody's going out onto the golf course, just wired to the moon, a million miles an hour yelling, super hyped up, one, they're going to get some weird looks because that's not typical golf. And two, it's probably going to affect their mental approach because golf is much more cerebral. You have to plan things out. You have to keep your heart rate a little bit lower. So... It, it's all dependent on what situation there is. And even more so in baseball specific, it breaks down to like position groups. They each kind of need their own specific arousal level where I, I normally talk with like my pitchers and catchers who are touching the ball every single play. They need to be more locked in and kind of a little bit higher adrenaline a little bit more focused to make sure that they're on point every single time whereas an outfielder maybe your left fielder um they're not going to see the ball every single play so on defense they may be able to be a little more relaxed they might be able to be at a lower activation level and then the the weird thing is i talk about pitchers being more locked in but still staying calm but then i've also worked with once you get to that collegiate level and higher where you have like specializations where you have starting pitchers relievers closers the one kind of outlier i've found is closing pitchers they from what i've seen they need to be more like a football player and more aggressive way higher activated because they're in a they come into baseball games in a very high stress situation where they need to come in dominate for three outs and close the door and end the game. So in that situation, it's more important for them to be adrenaline boosted, be aggressive, be hyped up and be ready to go out and dominate. So I think in this situation, it's all very, very dependent on what the sport is, who the person is, and even what position they play on whether they should work on staying calm or work on getting up and getting hype and being aggressive. I see. What is the blueprint of to building an elite athlete? So maybe some things that athletes can evaluate themselves and then assess which, I guess, check, they could check mark it and see like if they're doing well in one and then in the other, they have to work more on. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really good way to look at it is kind of creating a checklist for yourself. 
And again, my way may look different from a lot of other people's, but I break it down into kind of three major areas that lead to someone reaching that elite level in athletics. Um, the first one is proper and effective physical training. So strength training, cardiovascular, all that stuff, making sure that your body is in, you know, peak athletic shape to go out and execute your job. Uh, and this, the higher you get, the more fine tuned that gets. So once you get past high school, you get past college into the upper echelon of athletics, that's when there's specialists to do that stuff, to create your training programs. Um, the next piece is quality and good. So if you're a baseball player, you're getting in good reps, you know, you're getting extra swings in your playing catch, you know, it's all different for each sport, but making sure that you're honing your craft and making sure that you're as talented and as skilled as possible to perform when the time comes. And then the third piece is kind of where I specialize and that's in the mental training aspect where you have to be able to control your mental performance. You've got to be able to focus when you need to. You've got to be able to stay present, stay calm, or get um, excited, get that adrenaline up. Um, adding in that mental piece a lot of times is kind of the missing part for a lot of athletes. So going through that checklist, you can look, okay, am I getting good physical training? Am I putting in the extra work for my sport? And am I working on my mental game? You know, am I making sure that my mind is in the best place to go out and perform as well as my body? Great. I know we already touched on this a little bit, but you can add on and feel free to add on anything you want. Um, how is team building and team-based mental training beneficial to an athlete? And can these aspects be applied to individual sports? Yeah, uh, Team building stuff is great. It's it's a blast for me to do when I get to go in and work with a team. Uh, I kind of look at it as two, two different things to work on. One is team building and one is team-based mental training like you talked. It's kind of, I view it as two separate things. The first one being team building is we've seen it a lot more with sports where it's kind of building that team camaraderie that we talk about. You know, getting people to come together build those relationships amongst the team so you can kind of set that goal, that benchmark that you're shooting for and have everybody on the same wavelength working toward it. Um, this is something that I've done with teams before and we discuss something I talk about a lot is your why and getting teams to all share their why and explain to their teammates why they're passionate about this game uh, is very powerful. It gets people to understand where you come from, what your background looks like, and why you're so passionate to be there in the first place. And then the team-based mental training is the type of stuff that is very applicable to individual sports as well, where we talk about, you know, working on motivation, working on focus, working on visualization, all that type of stuff. And it, it can be applied to teams in a more broad spectrum where we kind of introduce the topic teach them how to use it, and then they kind of have to figure out how to tailor it to themselves. But then in individual sports, and when I work like one-on-one -on -one with athletes, is where we can really kind of fine-tune that stuff and nail it in to help them with their specific deficiencies and to really hone in their craft and figure out what their weaknesses are and turn them into strengths. So the team building aspect kind of gets lost within individual sports, and it makes sense. 
but the the mental training aspect is something that works both on a team level and an individual sport level okay i got it what is the inside out model of confidence i know confidence is very important in developing uh like it's a very important mental aspect for athletes so that is my question so the inside out model was something that was introduced to me for the first time by uh dr zuliger my professor at adam state during my master's program and it's a graphic on how to kind of build confidence within an athlete and how it affects their athletic performance and it's viewed as a graphic that looks like a bullseye and in the very center like the actual bullseye of the target is self-esteem and this is kind of the foundation of any type of confidence you know if an athlete or a person has low self-esteem and they're not confident in what they believe and who they are it's tough to build that confidence out into athletic performance then the next ring out is self-identity so is this type of person is their identity entirely tied to this sport or do they have other aspects that play into it you know are they also a musician do they have other hobbies outside of sports that you know bring joy into their life and that they're passionate about and then these two kind of build upon each other leading to the outer ring which is self-confidence and so these two without the inner rings you can't have that outer ring and then in the ideal world of building an inside out confidence in an athlete then athletic performance is outside the bullseye so you work from the inside out where person has a strong self-esteem a strong self-identity which builds that confidence which leads to good athletic performance and the opposite of this is the inside out where their athletic performance determines how confident they are which can impact their identity and self-esteem and that's you know a very negative way to go throughout life and to go through sports where if you have a bad game or a bad performance it impacts everything else in your life so when i work with athletes on this i start at the very foundational level of their self-esteem and try to figure out where they are with that and then build from there to let their strong self-esteem radiate into a strong performance and not vice versa interesting what is a personal philosophy because that sounds very broad and not to sports but how can it connect to sports and what is yours absolutely um so it's Anytime, you know, you get into philosophy, it starts to get kind of deep and kind of self-exploration type stuff. And again, it was something I learned in grad school. But I, I was first introduced to it in undergrad when I was in a uh, sports and society class and we had to write out our coaching philosophy. So basically, what would your coaching style be? You know, how do you interact with athletes, coaches and parents and stuff like that? And we had a section in there where we had to write about our own, you know, beliefs, our own values and our own personal philosophy. And so basically like that section for me was just about what's important to me. What do I value? What kind of drives me? And then again, when I got into grad school, I ran into this same topic and we had to write another philosophy. But this time I kind of knew that this was a lot more important than I realized it was in, uh, in undergrad. 
And so I kind of really dove into that project and did a lot of inward looking and a lot of self-exploration and really value, you know, my time. I value my happiness. I value my, you know, health and well-being. I want to live a long, healthy life. So what does that look like in action? For me, it's, you know, working out, it's being outside, it's being around people that I enjoy. So tying it back to sports, whether you're an athlete or a coach, having some type of personal philosophy helps it, it at least helped me kind of figure out where my passions lied in life and what I want to pursue. You know, I, I came to find out that I really, really enjoy helping other people and seeing other people succeed. And that has kind of shaped where my career has gone so far in life. I've done a lot of things that are more centralized around helping other people chase their goals and helping other people succeed. And all of that is due to kind of figuring out what my own personal philosophy is and figuring out what I value in life. So how can a young middle school athlete find out their personal philosophy? So I think it kind of starts with kind of taking an inventory of what your life looks like. Um, do you play sports? Uh, what is your goal with these sports if you play them? You know, what other hobbies do you have? Is that maybe a passion of yours? Really figuring out what you're passionate about. And once you kind of nail in what you're passionate about and what you value, what you want out of life, then you can kind of start to see a roadmap of where you might want to go. You know, maybe you do play sports, but you're also very passionate about playing the violin. And maybe you see that, hey, music brings me more joy and I value music more than sports or vice versa. You know, there's no right or wrong answer to it. But sitting down and kind of figuring out what all is impacting your life positively and negatively can help you kind of see where your philosophy lies and where it stems from. Online, it said that your motto was F-I-S-H, so the FISH motto. What does that stand for and how has it assisted you? Yeah, so um, it's something that I sort of, I don't claim that I came up with it, but I've also looked and I haven't seen anybody credited with it. So if someone else came up with it, I would love to hear it. But it's something that kind of hit me a few years ago. Um, and it's, a, it's an acronym. And I kind of have two definitions for it. There's like a G-rated family-friendly one that I'll give you. And then there's also um, kind of a more R-rated one that I'll leave out. Um, but F-I-S-H stands for forget it, stuff happens. And it's kind of what has shaped my mentality going through everything. Where in the past I talked about I, I was a terrible loser. I really struggled with messing up. But now that I've kind of figured out my philosophy and found what matters to me, I've learned that it's okay to mess up and it's not the end of the world when something doesn't go my way. So instead, you know, something bad will happen for me, no matter what it is in life. Maybe I'm at the gym trying to hit a new PR and I, I don't get it this day. Oh, well, you know, maybe next time. I don't, you know, let it ruin the rest of my day. Or I'm out, I like to skateboard. I'm out skateboarding, I try a new trick. I can't land it. Oh, well, maybe next time. So for me, it's being able to kind of, this motto has helped me kind of be able to accept when something doesn't go right and not let it tear me down for that day or week or whatever it is.
what work do athletes in middle school or high school need to be doing now if they want to play successfully at the college level on a, or in regards to like the mental side of things? Yeah, for, for me going into college, I was definitely not prepared for how much different it is than high school. And it's, it's something people talk about, you know, you have a lot more free time, you have a lot more responsibility, and that's 100% true. But one of the biggest things is for most people, when you go off to college, especially as an athlete, it's the first time that you're really on your own without your traditional support group, your parents, your high school friends, uh, your siblings that are there for you when times get rough. So being mentally prepared for that and you know, making sure that you're a confident individual, you have a motivation to go in and get the work done and that you have some sort of like roadmap that you're going to use to get through and to get to your goals is very important to have or you're gonna kind of get beaten down by by college a little bit because it's it's very different uh there's a lot more responsibility a lot more stress so making sure that your mental game is kind of locked in going into it is going to give you a lot better chance of staying the course and sticking to your plan throughout it being mentally prepared also means to have focus in a game and when a parent in the stands says like maybe your mom says and yells to an athlete like to focus does that actually work <laughs> no <laughs> it doesn't um if anything all it's going to do is lead to more stress for that athlete um because they know that other people are noticing that they're not focused you know it kind of brings attention to it in an ideal situation uh, we wouldn't even want this athlete to hear their parents from the stands because they're so locked in. But typically when this happens and we have someone yelling at them from the stands, it's because they are thrown off. They're not on their game. So it, it's, it's coming from a good place when parents do it. I know it. They, they want their kids to succeed and all that, but it definitely doesn't help. It probably detracts from the situation even more so. So in order to, to get athletes to focus when they're off their game a little bit, a lot of it goes back to those routines. You know, they need to have a strong routine in place in order to focus on the task at hand and be able to refocus when things go sideways. So an athlete that's listening to this podcast right now, maybe they have parents that uh, yell at them um, during a competition. What would you tell an athlete to tell their parents to stop that and really convince them to just stop distracting them. Yeah, it's stuff like that's always a difficult conversation when you kind of have to go to your parents about that stuff. But if you really do, if it is really something that's detracting from your performance, it is a conversation you have to have. And explaining to them kind of what I just said where, hey, if anything, this is hurting me. You know, it's bringing more attention to me when I'm trying to avoid that. It's showing people that I'm not on my game. So explaining that to them and tell them that, you know, instead, if they do want to yell, all parents want to yell, they want to see their kids succeed. Something, you know, a little more positive, something not just yelling focus at me, instead saying, hey, you got this, hey, you're good, hey, whatever, but kind of staying away from that, trying to backseat coach from the stands is, is probably a parent's best course of action.